The Yak Legion Podcast and the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast are sponsored by the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. You can reach them at BuckeyeKayakFishingTrail.com. Strictly Sail in Blue Ash, Ohio. Reach out to Brian for all your Hobie needs at 513-984-1907. And American Tackle Company. You can find them at americantackle.us. You're listening to the Act Legion podcast, and tonight I have a special guest, Jay from Escape with Jay on YouTube, and uh, I'm excited to have this guy on. He did 62 days on the Mississippi River, floating down to the Gulf of Mexico. Holy cow, that's an impressive stint, and uh, I was excited to get him on the podcast today. I found him on YouTube. I've been kind of watched a few of his videos, and uh, I've been following him for a while. And uh, I was really excited to get somebody on that's more uh, more on the recreational side of fishing. I know here on Yak Legion we talk about catfishing, bass fishing, and kayak fishing of all means. But let's talk about just long-distance camping trips. And, uh, I, you know, I thought about this before the podcast. I should have got Corey Mara, a waterborne camper, on here. He would have loved to co-host with me tonight. But uh, I'm going to try to do the best I can here. So uh, I got Jay, man, from Escape with Jay. How's it going? Going good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, yes, sir. I've been wanting to get you on for a while. I sent you a message. You're actually hard to hard to find on Facebook. And uh, I know you have reasons kind of behind that, but um, I finally got a hold of you, and you finally messaged me back. And I was excited to get you on here, man. Cause, dude, doing 62 days on the Mississippi River on a kayak, man, that's, that's awesome. That's a seriously impressive stunt. Yeah, you know, I uh, apologize for the delay in responding. I try to get back to everybody who comments on my videos. Uh, a lot of people come on there, and they actually use my videos of the Mississippi as a study guide. And so I try to be very reactionary. I don't know how I missed your comments, so I apologize. But, yeah, no, it was uh, 62 days on the Mississippi. Started up at uh, Lake Itasca, Minnesota at the headwaters and kayaked uh, the 2,300 miles all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And it truly was uh, the experience of a lifetime. Holy cow, man. What made you uh, want to go on this adventure, man? What gave you the idea to do this? Yeah, so I, uh, I've i always had canoes, and I've always fished out of my canoes. I like the serenity and the quiet of fishing out of uh, paddled boats. And um, I have always wanted to try a kayak, and so I went out and bought a cheapy 10-foot Pelican kayak, and that's what I started my kayaking career in, doing little creeks here and there and rivers. And, of course, I fish out of it. I can't help but fish. And um, so I basically had worked uh, once I got out of high school. I've gone to school for many different things and um, mostly trades and have worked pretty much straight out of high school all the way up until I decided I wanted to do this trip. And it just got to the point where I, I'm kind of a job hop. I'm a scatterbrain, which is very common with us long distance paddlers, I come to find out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I would always look for new challenges, new thrills and adventures um, job hopping and I just had this chance encounter with this gal who was talking about uh, canoeing up in the boundary waters and it kind of reminded me about how much I enjoyed being outside and outdoors and 
it didn't take me long to um, find somebody else on YouTube who had done the entire Mississippi River. His name is Hank Vanderklok. So if you're looking me up, please look him up. He's a great guy. Um, talk to him. He's out of Europe, and he's a scatterbrain job hop just like I am. It's, it's just a personality trait, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, I saw that, and I'm like, I can't believe it that somebody would paddle the Mississippi. I grew up fishing by the Mississippi River at Lock and Dam 1, which is between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I was always very concerned about being around the river. I was taught from a young age that if you so much as dip your toe in there, those undercurrents are going to grab you and they're going to pull you down and you're gone. And so the whole idea of ever paddling the river in a, you know, canoe, a kayak was not even an option. And uh, the more I researched it, the more I see that people do it. Um, the more I was like, you know what, it just went from being an idea to a, I have to do it. And I simply wanted to get away from everything that was going on and escape it all. That's where the name Escape with Jay came from. And, uh, yeah, I just went for it. I mean, that, that is a tremendous feat of athleticism. Um, you're paddling against current, uh, where you going downstream or upstream? I guess that's downstream, right? So the, the river kind of brought you along too. But I'm sure you did have to paddle through quite a bit of current during those 62 days. And being a giant river like the Mississippi, uh, how did you deal with the barge traffic, the pleasure boaters, and all that stuff out there on a little kayak? <laughs> so, yeah, so there it was a flood year. So 2019 was the longest flood of all time in Mississippi River history. And it basically started before the snow even melted up here in Minnesota. And uh, it, it continued to flood all the way up until I started the trip, which was June 1st. And even on the river, um, the water levels were still going up and in some cases maintaining their, their height. And that actually was the, th- the theme all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And I got to a point where I was actually in between floods. Um, it was always flooded, but there was a kind of a peak wave in front of me. And then several days or even weeks behind me, there was a peak flood behind me. And even after I got back home into like October, November, the river was still flooded. So that's that's how incredibly long the flood lasted. And um, on my videos, I do show I brought a drone with me. And on occasion, I would put it up and you could see many of the um, fields along the river were still flooded. Um, There was breached levees. I mean, it was just really a a long flood year. And for whatever reason, that's the one I decided to go. Um, So a lot of the current... um, was behind me and it was pushing me and it was pushing me at a good speed um, between eight and nine miles an hour when I got on the lower river. So I was absolutely flying on the river and you wouldn't really notice it until you tried crossing the river and the current would pull you down and you would see the movement in the trees. And then you really got that sense of how fast you would see stuff going sideways as you were going down river. Um, So a lot of the currents were directed down a lot of the wing dams and stuff like that were underwater. So I would get kind of the boils that would come up from uh, submerged wing dikes and stuff that would surprise you. There was quite a few whirlpools out there. Nothing that, uh, nothing that's going to make me famous, but when you're all alone out there, um, things pop up. It definitely makes your hair stand up on the back of your neck and you start paying really close attention. Um, uh, Let's see. What else did you ask? Uh, Barges and recreational traffic. So the recreational traffic was, the worst around Lock and Dam 9, which I think is down in Iowa. Um, i trying to remember exactly where. I know Lock 10 is Gutenberg, Iowa. So between Lock 9 and Lock 10, there was a point 
and it was a Saturday, there was a point in which there was so much boat traffic, I actually had to come off the river because of the uh, constant waves and wakes the boats were kicking up, and it was literally hours of nonstop boat traffic. I've never seen so many boats. Um, part of me loved to see so many people out enjoying the river. The other part of me um, was working his butt off <laughs> to maintain direction. Um, so the recreational traffic kind of ceased not too far after that. There was always a jet ski or a boat out there. Um, but for about a week, I dealt with uh, pretty heavy recreational traffic. Um, as far as barges, and, and, you know, those people are great. They're always offering you a beer or a brat or a dog or a tow, you know, whatever whatever you want. They're always willing to help. And, and they're just as surprised to see you out there as anybody. Um, barges were actually a lot of fun. I always loved when a barge would come by when I was fishing down by Lock and Dam 1. And so to actually be out there and see them all the time was a lot of fun. They now are limited to about St. Paul in Minnesota. So they start there and then you will see them all the way down to the Gulf. And uh, they luckily going upriver, they're slow enough that I could actually cross the river in front of them with no problem within reason. I mean, you know, if I could see them a mile out, I would have time to get past um, going down river, they were going about, I think, I think I clocked one at like 10, 11 knots. So he was just flying. Um, and the only reason I know that is because I had an app on my phone that would track barge traffic. So that's how I knew that. Um, I had a VHF radio so I could actually communicate with the pilots or the captains of the toes. And if I was in a situation that was sketchy, I could actually reach out to them and just be like, Hey, I just want you to know I'm in this area. You know, I would say I'm a solo kayak. I'm on the left or the right bank descending. Here's my intention, what I'm doing. Let me know if I'm in your way. Um, I would give them complete control over the situation because I didn't want to get caught under the front of them. So, and then, uh, so the barges weren't too big, big of a deal. And then uh, once you hit Baton Rouge, you actually have ocean going vessels. And, you know, they're 10 stories high, 750 feet long. And uh, that's when you put on your game face. <laughs> um, and and they're all the way down to the Gulf as well. So that's amazing. And you mentioned that 2019 was a, was the biggest flood in Mississippi's history. So it was uh, it was the longest flood. So there, I think, uh, like 2011, 93, I think, were some other really big ones. But this one, not only was this one really high, um, it just it lasted the entire year. So where did you camp at? Because I imagine a lot of spots on the edge of the river were um underwater and how did you deal with like private properties so in minnesota north of the metro um the dnr here department of natural resources actually has printed maps that uh, show um campsites that are provided to the public and those are generally high enough off the water especially in minnesota river still kind of small up here and um you have every you have uh, ample opportunity to find camp spots so below that it was basically a matter of um, paddling until you found dry land that uh, suited your needs and it wasn't until i started getting down to um well i know in missouri there was some time i was having a hard time finding some land i had a hammock with me the hammock was absolutely critical on those uh, flooded islands because i even if it was wet ground i could just hang and i could be dry all night which was amazing um and it was my first time ever ha uh, hammock camping was on the mississippi so 
Um, wow. it, it proved its value right there. Baton Rouge, um, just north of Baton Rouge, where the Atchafalaya comes out. Um, maybe these names don't mean nothing to you, but that's down in uh, you know Louisiana. I'm and, not real uh, familiar with them, no, but still, some of our listeners are. Sure. So, yeah, so down kind of in the Baton Rouge, so southern Louisiana, um, is was where the flooding was absolutely the worst. Some people may recall a lot of the spillways were being opened that don't get opened unless there's emergencies. Emergencies being that New Orleans could actually have levee breaches that would flood out New Orleans again. Um, and then also to prevent the Mississippi wants to change its course and go down what's called the Atchafalaya River. It's a shorter um, way to the Gulf than it goes now, and it's more direct. And so if given the chance, the Mississippi would actually top those levees and it would it would run a new course, leaving New Orleans nearly high and dry and just devastating the shipping industry down there. And so they open a lot of these spillways to um, control that flow of water instead of letting it just breach the levees and run wild. And so a lot of these levees were, or a lot of these um, control structures were open to uh, try to mitigate some of that flooding. But down in that area, I think my record was paddling over three hours without finding dry land. Um, the levee walls were so far into the trees, I couldn't see them. And so uh, there was no paddling into the trees because of all the current that was in them as well. I was not going to risk that. And uh, so, yeah, um, I think about three hours was the furthest I went with... Uh, with no uh, sign of dry land until an island finally came up and I took it. <laughs> so, and then I actually stayed on that island for 24 hours to allow a day's worth of uh, draining to happen on the river. I think we lost six inches to a foot of, of water depth in just that 24 hours I stayed there. So that brought land that wasn't there two days before. And then I continued on again. But uh, I never had trouble finding a spot but there was times where i wondered if i was going to wow so did you do this trip straight 62 days or did you take any breaks or so i um my wife came up and saw me multiple times so i got our mark so it was one whole day out there and then i stopped um in a town called hastings which is the closest i would be to my house the entire way hastings minnesota and I came home for four days, mowed the lawn, took care of everything, got everything. You know, if there was any issues, I took care of them um, and then uh, went back out. And then I only had um, I had one full day off in Grafton, Illinois, because it was so hot. I just needed a day to sit in the AC. And then I took the, that 24 hour um, stop at that island just above Baton Rouge. And most of the time. Whenever I would, if I would get a hotel, um, I think I stayed in four hotels or so. I can't remember off the top of my head. But when you go into, when you stop at a town, your entire night is spent running to stores, getting everything repacked, washing your clothes. So it really isn't a break from the river. It's just a preparation time to get back on the river. And so um, I had to have a couple of days off on the way down there just to have some time to recover from the heat. And uh, those are really nice. Some people don't do them, but uh, I, I snagged them. <laughs> so, George, did you do? Did you take a break and do any sightseeing, like coming through New Orleans or some of the other historic places you went by? Because I'm sure there's all kinds of history down there on the Mississippi River. I mean, hell, um, it's Mississippi. Right, the Mississippi is it's it's just full of history. Like Vicksburg, you know, they talk a lot about like Civil War monuments and stuff down in Vicksburg. Um, 
there's um, Natchez, which is one that everybody insisted I stopped at. And some of the buildings, I guess the um, Saloon Under the Hill, I believe it's called. I think they said it's been there for like 200 years. And it just so happened that the Mississippi Queen, I believe it's called, or the American Queen, is a giant. It's not a paddle boat, but it's in, you know it looks like an old paddle boat. It's a tour boat. You know that just happened to be docked there when I was um, coming through Natchez. So I mean it was really cool at sunset. I watched this huge paddle boat paddle out from these you know 200 year old windows in this 200 year old building. I couldn't help but wonder how many people have seen this over the years. You know I mean. God, you, you got to think that that's played out thousands of times. But um, I didn't go too far from my boat because when I started the trip, um, a father and son who were from Texas, uh, we started at the same time. Their boat was actually stolen with all the gear in it. And we actually happened to get it back with all the gear in it. It was taken by some homeless folks who want nothing more than a canoe that's full of tents and food and sleeping bags. And... Um, so, yeah, they stopped, they ran into town, came back, and their boat and everything was gone. And we found it, we got them back on the river, we paddled about a week together. But that kind of set the tone for me that I didn't want to leave the boat behind any more than I had to. Yeah. So most of my sightseeing was done by any of the river angels that would swing out, pick me up, and they'd drive us around, show us all the uh, kind of the sightseeing things or the tourist traps that are in those towns. Um, I did stop in Memphis, so I got to see some cool things in Memphis. The famous Beale Street. There's the uh, Bass Pro Shops there at the Pyramid, which is an old um, NBA stadium, I was told. And uh, there's the Mud Island Marina, which is where we stayed. They got a scale model of the Mississippi River, which is really cool. So, so yeah, so most of the things I got to see um, that were in towns was places that River Angels would bring me and show us. Yeah, you say River Angels, and what comes to mind is the trail magic and and trail angels on uh, like for backpackers with long distance on the Appalachian Trail. So, what is a river angel exactly? So, the best way I can describe a river angel is majority of them live along the river, and they're basically there to um, help out paddlers any way they can. Um, they are they're almost from the beginning of the river almost to the end and i say almost because some of the early stretches and the end of the river there is no drivable roads there is nowhere to live there um so they are almost from beginning to end and uh they're on different social media pages they follow paddlers but what their uh what their big claim to fame is is they'll swing out pick up a paddler bring him back home they'll give him food water dinner you know showers laundry which is always a huge thing they'll run into the store to resupply whatever they need and a lot of times they'll, they'll uh, acquire equipment for them that may have been damaged or lost along the way. And uh, so they're just, they're just kind-hearted folks along the way that want to see people be successful in their, in their dream of paddling the river. Wow. Wow. How, how often did you utilize uh, River Angel's help? How many did you meet? So, um, boy, there was, you know, anybody that's willing to, to step in and help you out, you know, you can almost consider a River Angel... So, I mean, there was a couple of dozen probably people in the entirety of the trip. I think I have a total of five people who I actually stayed overnight with and would go back to their house and, you know, shower and all that stuff. But, I mean, I had countless people that would be just hanging out at a dock or, you know, a marina along the way. And I would stop in, try to fill up my water anytime I could. And they'd be like, hey, what do you need? I got water. I got food. I got snacks. You know, I mean, I'll give you whatever you want. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it was just, it was crazy that 
you know, in a day and age where everybody's told everybody hates everybody, everybody on the river was absolutely amazing. I had strangers helping me uh, in ways that you would just never expect. And it, it really does show just the greatest side of people. And I saw it over and over again that people would swing out, pick me up. I, I stopped in a place called Caskill, Wisconsin, and I had these storms just barreling down on me. I had no idea they were coming, and they just showed up, and the skies were dark. And so I stopped at this this park, and it says right there, no camping. And I'm thinking, great, I got nowhere to go, and I can't camp here. But they had a pavilion there and, you know, and restrooms and stuff. And so I just I called the local dispatch. I said, hey, I'm a paddler. I'm, tr I'm paddling the river. I got nowhere to go, and I got storms barreling down on me. So the, the dispatcher said, don't worry about it. You're free to stay because you're seeking shelter. I don't know how many people came by that night and said, hey, do you want us to bring you to a hotel? Do you want us to get you some food? We can get you water. We'll bring you back to our house. And I mean, you know, it's just the kindest, you know, things that you never would have expected to happen. Um, just show up at the right time. And, and it was like that the whole way down. I, just unreal. Well, that is amazing. And so much of this reminds me of long distance backpacking. And I don't know why this is not a bigger thing, because it's basically <laughs> something like doing the Appalachian Trail or uh, the Pacific Rim or uh, doing any of these long distance backpacking trips. Except, I think, except I think, uh, the backpack is not on your back. It's in your kayak and you're floating instead of walking. Right. And I think I think the biggest difference would be... Um, Hold on a second here. I think the biggest difference would be is if something goes wrong on the trail, you don't drown in 200 feet of water. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot bigger. Chasing chickens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually got the fox out here, so I'm just uh, <laughs> sorry. You see him? Yeah. Okay, well, he's after your birds, so let me. They're fine. He came. Yeah, Jay was telling me before the before our chat that had a chicken uh, coming after. I mean, a fox coming after his chicken. So I guess the, the fox is in the yard now. Yeah, he's been. Uh, we lost uh, three the other day. We lost one last night, and we they've been kind of an ongoing problem. Now the foxes know the chickens and the hens are here, so they keep coming back. We have free range hens just for our own personal egg production, but um, it's been kind of a problem the past few days. <laughs> so. We've been keeping a close eye on him. Unfortunately, you just never know when the foxes are going to show up. And, you know, wouldn't you know he, he shows up while I'm doing this. But yeah, <laughs> don't worry. The wife, the wife's on it. So she's going to take care of him. <laughs> so what were you saying? Um, remind you know, me. Talking, what we're... Comparing it to, to, to backpacking, you know, you're, right. the, the danger factor is a lot higher because, you know, there's there is a lot of dangerous things that can happen on the trail. But, uh, you know, it's nothing like fighting currents and, and boat traffic. And like you said, 200 feet of water. I mean, if, yeah, if you fall over in the river and a current sweeps you away, there's chances that you'll never be found again. Right. I mean, there's entire towboats, barges that have, you know, a malfunction in the props or, you know, they can't turn out of a current fast enough and they wind up on the barges the current grabs the barges you know the towboats will disconnect and and save themselves and the barges you know, i mean there's countless videos of uh, barges getting tied up on um on dams and it just flips them over and sinks them you know i mean actually you know it's fun because i always think that the uh, the carp are probably having a heyday with all the corn that the barges just dropped but um yeah i mean there's uh there's there's a much different element to it i mean we we 
you know, we probably wouldn't get mauled by a cougar or something floating down the river, but you get under the front of a barge and I mean, you, there's a good chance that if you come out the other end, you're not going to be alive anymore. Um, you know, I, I guess one story that comes to mind that I could share with you is, um, so stopping at the St. Louis arch, the gateway arch is huge. A lot of paddlers will do that. And there was a story, I think it was even last, no, it was, would have been 2018. So a paddler went to stop at the gateway arch and he saw no trespassing signs and um he didn't want to trespass you know which is something we all try to be very cognizant of so he goes back into the river to um go down a little further so he could park his boat and walk back to the arch so he gets out on the river he looks to the left didn't realize it but in the time it took him to look left he had already drifted to the right into a parked barge went under the barge with all of his gear and everything was underwater he swam out from under it came up screaming help me help me help me and also some uh People, some workers um, threw him a lifeline, got him out of the river and everything. But I don't think his most of his gear never resurfaced, nothing like that. And he was done. I mean, he's, you know, once you've had that happen, you're done. <laughs> so wow. Wow. Um, that's scary. When, when something goes wrong, it can happen very quickly. And then, you know, as opposed to just being in a still watered lake, of course, you know, if something happens on the river, you're you're moving and getting caught against anything um, is devastating. So. Oh, it's very dangerous. Any river, big or small, there's always dangers with moving water. Well, and, the big uh, the big rules I would tell people, um, and I still tell people, I talk to a lot of people who are paddling this year, I say I had one, one major rule that was stay away from everything and touch nothing because that's where the danger lies. I like that. I like that. So we'll, we will take a short commercial break here, and uh, we will be right back with Escape with Jay, and we'll talk more about his trip, 62 days on the Mississippi down to the Gulf of Mexico. Now a word about all the awesome companies who support the Yak Legion podcast. Venom Lures. Venom Lures in Lancaster, Ohio, is known for their great soft plastics and terminal tackle. They have been providing quality products from right here in Ohio since 1984. Mr. Dustin Carnes is the new owner of Venom Lures, an inventor of the DK rig. It's a weedless version of the Ned rig that's taking the fishing world by storm. Check them out at VenomLures.com. Strictly Sailing Kayak. Strictly Sailing Kayak is located on Kenwood Road in Blue Ash, Ohio. They sell Hobie, New Canoe, Feel Free, Three Waters, and Johnny Boat kayaks. They have been providing high-quality service to fishermen and watercraft enthusiasts since 1978. Reach out to Brian Tacey at 513-984-1907 or check them out at strictlysailinc.com. American Tackle. American Tackle, the inventors of the microwave line guide system, sells a variety of terminal tackle and fishing lures along with custom rods and accessories. You can find them at americantackle.us. The Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. It's the biggest kayak fishing trail in Ohio and holds fishing events all over the Buckeye State. Check out their website at buckeyekayakfishingtrail.com. And that's for more information and details. Come out and fish with us, y'all. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to the podcast and all the support. You can follow Yak Legion on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, 
and all of those can be found at the Yak Legion Podcast. You can email us with any questions at the Yak Legion Podcast at gmail.com. We have Yak Legion decals for sale on the Facebook page. Every decal sold, guys, goes a long way to support the podcast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll give you a shout-out on the podcast to say thanks for all the support. OPH Outdoors. OPH Outdoors is a local Ohio Anglers YouTube channel. Learn all the tips and tricks from Fishing Ohio's waters, along with seeing some of the fish Ohio has to offer. From fishing footage to seasonal-based fishing knowledge, OPH Outdoors has videos for every Ohio angler. Eventually. Hey, Yak Legion, I would like to welcome our newest sponsor to our program, Bold North Outdoors, makers of the best portable power station on the market today. Folks, when you're out on the water, you need a partner to keep your adventures powered up and going strong. That's where Bold North Outdoors is your go-to power partner. Power up all your devices on the water or off. Run your fish finder and trolling motor on your kayak and canoe. Charge your cell phones, laptops, and GoPros. Run lights, fans, and even your CPAP. Whatever your power needs, count on Bold North Outdoors to keep the energy flowing. Bold North Outdoors outperforms all its competitors. First, they are built tough with marine-grade components to withstand all Mother Nature can throw at you. Second, they feature powerful lithium phosphate batteries, the safest, lightest, and longest-lasting batteries. Out there, giving you four times the, the usual performance of other batteries. All batteries have built-in BMS, which gives you charging and discharging cutoff protection for your safety and increased longevity of the battery. And they are also accessible and customizable. Easily added a string of batteries, access the internal circuit breaker, and connect a solar panel to recharge the battery. With three different models, there's one to fit your unique outdoor needs. No other power station can match Bold North Outdoors for durability, endurance, and flexibility. I'm telling you, I've got one and I'm a believer. Sometimes it's just not... It's not just about luck. It's about being prepared. So keep on paddling with Bold North Outdoors. It's the best portable power station to keep you in control and powered up. Here's something you don't want to miss. Bold North Outdoors is launching a Kickstarter campaign on July 7th. For a limited time, Bold North Outdoors is offering their newly released best-in-class portable power stations at a substantial discount. Choose from three different models, each designed to fit your unique outdoor needs. Support their campaign today and join them on their journey toward off-grid power when you need it most. And we are back with Jay from Escape with Jay. So, man, dude, 62 days down to Mississippi. Uh, where did you launch at? I think you already said, but where did you launch at and where did you uh, pull um, pull out at? All right, so the uh, Mississippi River, and of course there's always debate on things because it's fun to do, but uh, starts in Lake Itasca, Minnesota, comes out the northern end of Lake Itasca, and then um, I pulled out, so the river splits into three. There's a bird's foot at the end of the river, and there's the southwest, southeast, and south pass. I took the south pass to the Gulf, and that's the Gulf of Mexico and south of Louisiana. Wow, how many states did you go through? So there's a total of 10 states that you um, paddle along. And um, let's see here, make sure I get them right this time. 
So it starts in Minnesota, goes along Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, and then it ends south of Louisiana. Wow, that's incredible, man. That's incredible. Um, getting into gear. So I know a lot of backpackers, you know, we've been comparing this to backpacking a little bit. They, they, they pack real light, but with the benefit of a kayak, I'd say you'd have a, a little bit more uh, weight capacity than you, you normally are carrying on your back. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. What all did you bring gear-wise? What were your most, most important pieces of gear? Yeah, so actually when I started packing for this trip, I had, I don't know, three times the amount of stuff I had. So I literally just cut my stuff in half, cut it in half, and cut it in half. Everything that was a redundant item, I cut in half. But like I said, I went to school for different trades and stuff. And and uh, so, you know, I'm Mr. Fix-It, so I wanted everything I needed to, to survive the trip. And it just was too much. So um, ultimately, everybody starts with too much stuff, and then they start to break it down. So I had all these great grand plans of bushcraft and it with bushcraft knives, you know, and fire starters and all that. Boy, by the time I got even into Iowa, all that stuff was gone and I was using a lighter and a can opener. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, you know, after long hot days, you just want what's easy. Um, you know, and I'd have fires and stuff too, but not much. But, uh, so what I had for my, my primary, let's just go with camping first is I had, um, a snug pack ionosphere. It's a small one person tent, not much bigger than a bivy tent. And, I had a hammock, and I, I used the Snug Pack Jungle Hammock because it had a bug net on it, and then a, just a simple tarp with a ridge line. And the tarp hammock setup was by far my favorite way to sleep. I could use it as something to sit in while I was at camp. I just loved to hang in it, and then I slept so well in it compared to the tent. Um, you know, I had a couple changes of clothes. Ultimately, I just wore the same thing all the time because, you know, when I went into town, I didn't want to look like I just came off the river, so... Um, <laughs> You know, I tried to just wear my river set of clothes, and then I had, a you know, in-town clothes. Um, I had the, you know, as far as maybe the most important stuff would have probably been the electronics. Because I wanted to film the trip, I really, really wanted to do a good job filming the adventure so that I could share it with everybody. And um, so I had three GoPros. I had a point-and-shoot Canon camera. I had a drone with me. Uh, I, had a, I bought a really cheap, like, $150 Dell laptop which was absolutely useless, but it could transfer um, memory card files from memory cards over to hard drives. And I think I had got four terabit worth of hard drive space with me. So I had every intention of filming everything I saw. And uh, it was a lot, I, I'd say easily without the value of the boat, the filming equipment and all that would have been the biggest expense and, and uh, use of space. Um, I had portable batteries that I could recharge everything on. And then I recharged the battery packs off the solar panels. So I was completely independent from everything out there and could sustain my power needs and everything. But um, yeah, definitely the filming was a big part of it for me. I really wanted to enjoy the river. And I've often said to people, you can either film the trip or you can enjoy it, but you can't do both. I really tried to find that balance because filming, you know, you see something really cool. Your instinct is to push record and film it and get it the right shot. But then you're not living in the moment and that's that's kind of a hard thing to to do and um so it was it was hard to strike that balance i did really enjoy the trip but if i would go again i have often wondered that if i would not bring a single camera with me because um, it would be all in the moment but uh you know i had a garmin gps explorer plus that tracked my progress and i was able to share that with family and everything and um, my wife, of course, I could text through that if cell phone service was unavailable. And it had the SOS feature. 
Um, so if I ran into trouble and everything went south, I could uh, I could at least call for help through the GPS. Um, let's see what else did I have. I had you know, food was pretty much you know cooked on little pocket stoves and stuff. Same thing that hikers would carry. Um, a lot of what I carried. I got the lists from hikers because I knew that hikers knew how to save space. And so most of everything that I, I used, I targeted off of like a hiking um, list, if you will. Makes sense. Yeah. So gear talking gear. Um, what's the most important gear that you brought? Well, let me reword this. Let's talk about the most important gear that you brought. And that was your kayak. Uh, what kayak or kayaks did you do this trip on? So the, uh, the headwaters of the Mississippi are very shallow, very rocky, and uh, a lot of people can mess up their boat on day one, and I wanted to make sure I didn't do that. So my very first boat was a 10-foot cheapy Pelican kayak, which was bought specifically to take abuse, and abuse it took. Um, and uh, so for 16 miles, that was the first kayak, and then I switched over to a 14-foot Current Designs Whistler, which is a rotomold plastic, and that one's capable of much more speed and agility it can take some gear in it and i took that one the next several hundred miles all the way down to hastings which is just south of minneapolis and st paul and then from there when i took my little break at home i switched to my very nice um solstice gts from current designs which is a kevlar boat composite kevlar and that thing is just it's sleek it's fast it's just a race car and that one made the uh the whole rest of the trip from hastings down to the gulf of mexico so what three kayaks and 62 miles on the mississippi dude that's awesome yeah 62 days um three kayaks and then days i'm sorry yeah about 20 2300 miles Wow, 2,300 miles. That's incredible. So, man, that's, dude, that takes a lot of strength. I'm sure that did. Some, you had to uh, do some training for this. Uh, what did you do to prepare yourself for this trip, and how did you train for it? Yeah, that's the, the biggest thing that everybody, you know, would ask about training. You know, it's just, what, how, do you, how do you even get ready for that? And, uh, you know, the majority of it is just a mental game. Um, it really is. It, it's just all about being ready to handle anything that the river is going to throw at you. I mean, there's people of all shapes, sizes, color, and creed that do the river. And the one thing they all have in common is they have the mental toughness it takes to get to the end. Somebody along the way told me, um, never quit the river on a bad day. And I was like, God, you know what? If that is not the most valuable piece of advice I had ever heard, because, you know, you're going to have bad days. You're going to be crabby. Um, you know, there's going to be, you, you paddle over some big lakes, Lake Winnie up in North Minnesota is six and a half miles to cross it. And your option to not cross is a 20 mile trek around the shoreline. And yeah. no matter which way you go, it's an absolute bear to get across it, you know? And if you, if you're, if you're going to quit, it's going to be on a day like that, you know? So having the advice of don't quit on a bad day, quit on a good day. Well, who's going to quit on a good day, you know? And uh, so I think just the biggest part of it was mental toughness. In Minnesota, there was a nine-inch blizzard two weeks before I hit the river. So I couldn't even get out and go kayaking before the trip. And I had all these grand plans. I was going to be out there for 10 hours a day every day before I went. I think I went kayaking maybe two or three times before the, the trip actually started. So uh, I, didn't, I just didn't have the opportunity. Um, so that's when I say, you know, the biggest part of it is mental toughness. I, I wholeheartedly believe that you have to have 
the desire and the will to get there. Yeah, that takes a lot of mental toughness to put that many miles on the Mississippi. And uh, that's a very intimidating river. I live up here on the Ohio River, and it, it's it's pretty dang big. There's a lot of big currents. It's a very dangerous river. And, jeez, um, oh, Pete, man, I got a lot of respect for you doing this trip. Um, so I'm sure with, with 62 days on the Mississippi, man, you've had to... You've had to come up with a cool, a few cool stories, man. Like some crazy stuff that happened. Um, what do you got for me, man? Did you? You mentioned earlier that you, you know, you had a friend that had a stolen boat. Uh, wasn't that a worry for you um, going down this stretch of river that there was going to be some nasty people, maybe um, close to your camp or or on the river? Yeah, absolutely. I actually fully expected that going through any of the metropolitan areas that there would be people there that uh, would not be on my side. And, um, you know, it was a solo trip. I, uh, I I had every intention of going alone and making it to the end alone. Um, I was fortunate enough to actually come across three different paddling groups. Um, Daryl and Jonathan, the ones from Texas that I met up with the first couple days, they had their boat stolen. Um, I met up uh, in Brainerd, Minnesota with an uh, older couple from Denmark. And so I got to learn all about the Danish people and the, and the Danish ways, uh, which was actually really cool. And they had some trouble along the way. They, uh, they had a folding kayak, you know, so it had a rubber bottom and all that. They tore it open on a rock. They ended up hitting another rock and flipping over. So there was just little hassles like that, that, you know, I helped them work through and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, down in St. Louis, um, I met up with a, a gentleman named John Denton. He's from Mississippi, and we paddled together for almost a couple of weeks, I think. We went through St. Louis together, and then he actually uh, stopped up in uh, uh, Rosedale, Mississippi, and he actually put me up in a hotel that night and everything. Just a great guy. It was his retirement plan. But um, so, you know, it was nice to have some some paddling partners along the way, and, and uh, I, I would always say, you know, share the good and blame the bad. Um, and so it was nice to have them. But, you know, as far as, like, really cool stories, I mean, I remember I was north of um, Keokuk, Iowa somewhere, and I was I had a terrible night's sleep. I had mosquitoes biting me through my hammock. It's in the video. You can see, see all my complaining about it. And, uh, you know, I'm just having this really rough day, and I get to the point where, you know, I'm just grumpy as could be, and um, I see something struggling in the water, and I get up to it, and it's this little woodpecker. He had been flapping around in the river and who knows how he got there but he was there and i pulled him out i held him you know i let him dry off he was shivering he was shaking and he had he cared none of the fact that he was being held by a person you know he was just so happy to be out of the water and um you know i, I kept him on on the deck bag for about an hour or so and then he actually jumped down into my lap and into the cockpit which i wasn't expecting and he was down there sleeping for about an hour or so and uh you know i mean it completely changed my day from being just the worst day of the trip to one of the coolest days on the trip that I was able to be there to help this little guy, you know, and I'd come up to the next lock and dam and I was kind of wondering, you know, I'd always put my rain skirt on um, just because you never know if there's going to be strange currents and waves around the locks. And uh, I'm like, what am I, what's he going to do when I put my skirt on? Well, just at that moment, he starts pecking at the inside of the boat and, you know, I'm in a Kevlar kayak, you know, $4,000 boat. I didn't want him pounding through there. So um, mm. use my foot and kind of shoot him up towards me. And then he, once he saw the opening, he flew off. But you know, it was just one of those cool things. Like, you know, who gets to do that? You know, this is the whole bird in the hand thing, you know, get to actually hold a bird that was struggling in the water. Um, I know one of the, probably one of the more crazy 
things I experienced was I was I was down past Baton Rouge and the river does several big turns and these turns are you know the difference between the inside and the outside bend can be 10 miles I mean it's just they're that big and I'm coming so so I'd always try to cross the river and be on the inside bend and um, I was coming up on this bend and there was a barge on the left side there was ocean liners moored up on the right side and then in the middle of the river coming around the corner is an ocean liner but i couldn't tell if he was moving it looked like he was just sitting there and it's hard to tell when you're moving if they're moving uh it, it just wasn't obvious if he was moving and so you know after a few minutes of debating should i cross should i stay here i don't want to be coming up on the barge any more than i want to be over by the ocean liners so i finally make the decision to cross and then about halfway across the river which mind you is three quarters of a mile wide down there um, it becomes blatantly obvious that this, this ocean liner is in fact moving and now he's pointing right at me. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, I don't know if I, if I had entered a kayaking race at that moment, I would have won that race. I have never ca- paddled so hard in my life to get out of an area and uh, every, everything worked out. I don't know if they might've seen me and then they had actually, you know, backed off to let me cross. But, uh, boy, I tell you what, when you have a 10 story you know ship that's 750 feet long staring you down and you're on current that you can't turn around and paddle against if you need to um it really does get you worried <laughs> so yeah i'd say gee beneath man that's some scary stuff did you see a lot of wildlife down there like a lot of deer beavers otters mink uh, did raccoons raid your campsite oh gosh the raccoons so yeah i mean there was uh, there was a ton of wildlife up in northern minnesota i mean the river otters or muskrats or beavers you know as countless birds the bald eagles are everywhere um there was uh there was some raccoons down in um i'll try to think of the name of it it was the devil's backbone campground in illinois and we stayed there when a tropical storm came up the river valley um the campground had actually been about 15 feet or 10 feet underwater just a you know month or two before and uh when we got there there was nobody there it was closed because of all the you know there's so much sediment and stuff that washes into the campground that has to be removed so it was just closed so we called and we talked to the dispatcher again you know the local sheriff dispatch and said hey here's our situation we just need to take shelter from this tropical storm do you know if we can get a hold of this owner of this place and she called him and he said yeah no problem well being a campground there was raccoons there that probably hadn't eaten all summer and so in the middle of the night we we were dealing with some raccoons digging in the bags and, and they weren't weren't very worried about us yelling at them we actually had to get up and yell and like chase them to get them to run off because they i assume they were just that hungry that they didn't care you know i'm sure they have food all year normally but uh, so we had those guys that we dealt with. I had some uh, a pack of wolves up in northern Minnesota. I could hear while I was hanging in the hammock. Um, big bag of meat just hanging there for them. You know, I kind of wondered how it would go. But uh, I never never saw them. It was, of course, it was in the middle of the night, so you can't see nothing. Um, I actually didn't see bear tracks until I got down into uh, Mississippi. Um, I came across my first gator tracks ever. Um, you know, there's no gators up here in Minnesota, obviously. So uh, it was kind of cool to see them for my first time. I wasn't really sure how to handle that. Uh, I looked all over for them because, of course, I wanted to get video. But I uh, never saw them. Um, I came across a, uh, a banana spider. If you've never looked up a banana spider, check that thing out. Those things are absolutely massive. Um, that was down in Louisiana. So I was walking through the woods where I had my camp set up. 
and I walked into what I thought was fishing line coiled between these trees. I didn't even see it until I ran into it. And it felt just like, like a five pound fishing line. And, uh, I'm shaking it and I'm trying to pull it and I look up and here's this, you know, hand sized banana spider and that's their web. They have the strongest web of any, any spider on the planet, I guess. And boy, did it show. So, wow. yeah. yeah. So, you know, seeing that, I was kind of like, uh, but, uh, I mean, I love the, the wild stretches at a river. I think they say from the very beginning down to Baton Rouge, the river is still 90% wild, 10% industrial. And then you get into Baton Rouge to the Gulf and it flips from, you know, it flips the other way. It's actually um, 10% wild and 90% industrial. But uh, it, it really is amazing to see how the wildlife has adapted to all the changes on the river. So, so and it's cool. Bring, to... I'm sorry. Did you bring anything to protect yourself against wildlife or bad people? Yeah. So I, I never really, I, it, it never made the videos or anything, but I did have a, a 40 with me that I bought for the trip, carried the whole trip and uh, actually fired into the Gulf of Mexico. So it was a relief after all that time to see that uh, the gun still functioned. <laughs> so, um, and it had been plenty of wet and plenty of sand on it. And then I had, um, I had bear spray with me in the beginning, but I think I ended up leaving that behind. So, um, but uh, yeah, aside from Not that, I wasn't. bears on the Mississippi there, right? <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're there, but they're so rare and far in between, you don't see them, so. Every now and then, someone will will report that they had seen one or they was sniffing around camp, but uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty rare. Wow, man, that's incredible! Uh, now you mentioned you did some fishing too. Uh, did you catch any big fish? Uh, you got any cool fishing stories? And did you eat any fish? You know, I don't, and I didn't. Um, I fished probably every night for the first week and then as time goes on you get to camp you're just so pooped that you're just and you're battling mosquitoes so bad too um i had grand plans that i was actually going to buy out-of-state licenses for all nine of the states that are outside of my home state and i was gonna fish the whole way down but man you know that the, the real honest truth is somebody said once they said you know you're you, you can't fish every night on the river you're just gonna be too tired and i was like no way and uh yeah so the honest truth is is i didn't there was some smallmouth bass up in northern minnesota i was after and playing with them and um and, and i enjoyed fishing and i love fishing but it's just at the end of the kayak and day you get set up you know the mosquitoes are just killing you um most of the time i just get to camp and lay down and relax so i didn't fish nearly as much as i wanted to um i was on the st croix a little bit this summer and i bought an out-of-state license and i was fishing on there and i have every intention of going back and finishing and uh, and using that, I'll just say fishing license that I paid for. So hopefully this tri this trip that I finish this summer, um, there'll be more fishing in there. But yeah, not nearly as much as I wanted to, unfortunately. So what did you take away from this whole trip, your whole venture down the Mississippi? What's uh, one thing or a few things that you think that you really learned from this adventure? Oh man. Hmm. Well, I learned the I learned for sure that the river is not the soul sucking monster that everybody tells me it was. That uh, you know a lot of people get out and really enjoy the water, and that the river is not just there to kill you. It actually is just a moving body of water that, if done right, can really be enjoyed from a kayak or a canoe. Um, I really did learn that there is mostly kind people out there. That uh, not everybody is out to just make your life miserable. Um, so many people were were there for me that i didn't even expect you know i just it that was really cool to see the kindness of people um 
You know, I, I learned after getting back that after um, being on the river for 62 days and accomplishing goals and seeing new things every day, that coming back to normal life was really hard, um, borderline depressing. There was, uh, I read a few times about um, like post-trip depression and it's just like, how can that even be a thing, you know? Um, it really is kind of an interesting phenomenon I think that happens is you just get so used to doing something new every day and accomplishing new things that when that all goes away and you go back to a grinder job again, um, it's actually really hard to, to get back into it. Uh, I, I was I was fortunate that I had 62 days worth of video footage to edit, and so I could relive all of it again to a wow. small degree. But uh, that was that was probably the the most incredible part about the whole thing was just that you know like how hard it was to go back to normal after that. And I think that's why you see a lot of people do the Appalachian Trail. Then they'll go on to the you know the PCT, or they'll go into doing the Mississippi or the Ohio River or the Missouri River. Um, some people go on and do the Yukon River. So um, it, it kind of becomes an addiction after a while that you got to do it again and you got to do something again. So, yeah, yeah it's incredible. And that does kind of remind me of, like they say, backpackers, you know, you get depressed. You've, you've gotten used to living a certain way for so long and then you go back to normal life and, you know, let's all face it, normal life's pretty boring. There's not well, a yeah. lot of adventure, normal, normal everyday life, paying the bills, mowing the grass, going to work. And uh, it's definitely, I, I understand why people get depressed. <laughs> you know, it was really funny because, like, when you're on the river and you show up in a small town with a kayak, I mean, the majority of the people, you know, they say a couple hundred people a year paddle on the river in some way or for some distance, but not everybody goes to the end. But it's still not normal to see a kayak or a canoe on the river. Um, you know, so when people see that, you're you're almost like a quasi-celebrity. You know, you pull up, you're you're telling your story. It's really exciting for them to hear, you know, that, that somebody's paddling and living on the river and, and you really are almost like on a public relations event where you're selling this good story of the river and that it's not that dangerous, you know, I mean, it is dangerous, but it's not, you know, it's not that you go on the water and you're never going to come back. Um, there is a way to safely navigate the river, you know, so it's like everywhere I would stop and I would see people and we, I would tell this story and it was just this really exciting event and it was almost like you're a celebrity and for someone who was most definitely not one, um, it was kind of fun. Well, then I get back to my hometown where nobody knows I did the river. That night we go up to the local, you know, small grocery store. It's only a town of 4,000. And, you know, I'm walking through and nobody knows who I am. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's asking about this amazing journey I was just on. You, you, it's, it's the most slap of reality I've ever had happen. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting to, to go from fame to not just by coming home. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I can understand that. So what piece of advice would you give somebody that wants to attempt uh, just a long distance trip? Maybe not the 62 days, but just uh, some long distance um, paddling trip down a river, either the Ohio or Mississippi or wherever. I think uh, I think the most important thing that you need to understand is that even like doing the Mississippi is not like floating down the river on an inner tube it's a lot of work it's a it, it can be a lot of hardship um it can be a lot of loneliness so you know the biggest thing is just you got to mentally prepare for all aspects of the trip you know like i didn't go out and do the river with the intention of filming it that was my secondary goal you know so when people watch my videos i didn't want them to get like a false impression that 
every time you see me on the camera, I'm smiling and I'm having the time of my life. And there's just nothing better than this. You know, there is, you, you know, if you watch my videos, you will see every day that I woke up where I didn't sleep good and I am not in a good mood. I am not happy. You know, someone promised me a shower at one of the campgrounds and I packed up all my stuff and walked over there and the shower was out of order. You know, I walked like a mile to get to this shower and I was looking forward to it. That was the biggest, most depressing thing I've ever had happen in my entire life right there in that moment was the shower didn't work. So I think the biggest thing to remember is, is that you're not in an air conditioned building every night. You might not have a shower for weeks. It might be hot. It might be stinky. Your food might be canned chicken that isn't warm. You know, I mean, there's, there's countless things that are struggles along the way and it's the ultimate you know, realization at the end that everything was just amazing now that you're on the back side of it and you're like, oh, I can't wait to do that again or you know, I can't I can't wait to to do something again and, and have those struggles and then have those senses of accomplishment when you've over you know overcome those struggles. So I, I, I guess, you know, yeah, just you know, if you're gonna do this, find as many different pieces of information as you can. Talk to as many people as you can find. Like nothing is better than talking to people that have actually done it. Um, even this year, you know, I wouldn't go as far to call myself a river angel, but I mean, I've gone out and I've seen a few paddlers as they came through. We got some veterans out there right now. One's a double amputee. And, uh, I went out and saw them on their way by and they actually had their radio and stuff blow off their bag in a pop-up storm that happened, which is very common on the river. And, uh, they lost their, um, Marine radio, which is how you communicate with locks and barge traffic. So, I was before even just minutes before this um, this podcast, I was actually calling them and I'm like, hey, let me know where you are. I'll ship you my marine radio a couple of days downriver and it'll be waiting for you when you get there. You just need to let me know where you're going to be, you know. And um, so talk to the people who have done it because they're they're the ones that are going to be able to tell you the hardships. They're the ones that know what you're feeling as you're going down the river and they can tell you that. Um, reading books is great. Watching videos is great, but they always have kind of that bias towards, Hey, I'm having a great time. Nobody wants to admit that they're struggling out there. So, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, if you can get out and hike miles before you go do the, the ACT or PCT or any of those, or, um, you know, if you can go out and paddle, you know, 200 miles before you do the entire Mississippi, great. My, my longest distance trip ever was 70 miles before I did the Mississippi, and it was on the Mississippi. It was my test run, basically. Um, and so I went from 70 as a record high to smashing it with 2,300 miles. Wow. So, but, uh, you know, just be, just be ready to have things happen that you didn't expect to happen. Wow, man. That's incredible. And to be honest with you, Jay... This is uh, the most fun I've had interviewing somebody in, in a while. I've had a lot of great people on a lot of fun podcasts, but man, this just this your story of this this huge trip down the Mississippi. I mean, it just kind of reminiscent of times of you know Huckleberry Finn going floating down the Mississippi on a raft, and you know <laughs> stories about the old steamboats uh, going down the Mississippi. I mean, just there's so much his history on that river. It, it, it is such a legendary river, man, and that, that's a legendary accomplishment. Congratulations again, man, on your on your accomplishment. Well, you know, and one thing I'd love to express to people too is like I had a really expensive boat. I bought it on sale because it was a blemish model. You know, I had I had certain things that I wanted to bring with me that you don't need. You don't need a Kevlar boat. There was a guy the year I went. He built his boat by hand out of twigs, little boards, and a canvas from his tent and that's what he used to go all the way down the river wow. so i mean 
you don't have to spend ten thousand dollars to go off and do this journey some people do it with nothing some people do it with you know barely even a credit card to stop at places and and shower once in a while so you can have it all and you can have nearly nothing and people still make it both ways so don't you know don't ever let people give you a hard time because you don't have the fanciest gear out there um you don't need to have the best you know the best most advanced stuff you don't have to be cool with your gear there's people who literally make their boat from twigs and twine and they probably have a better time than anybody that has everything so you know technology you know i mean technology doesn't always work on the river um i was fortunate that none of my technology failed i crashed the first drone but uh you know i mean there's there's times where the cell phone doesn't work you know and and that's just great i mean it really is i had a goal the entire trip not to look at the news so i was really kind of out of the loop for for two months and that was awesome i mean you would never know that the world is in as much chaos as it is in you know <laughs> things on the river just are just the river you know there's there's what's called river time and the only time you're aware of is the sun goes up in the morning and goes down at night that's the two times i was aware of so it really is just a cool thing to experience and like i said you don't have to spend a fortune to do it and you don't have to do the whole thing you know do a section of a river you know, plan ahead. Make sure you don't got locks or dams or wind dikes, which are underwater rock structures, you know, um, that you have to deal with. You know, I mean, do your do your research. But, uh, you know, just doing sections of river is great. Find someone that'll pick you up at the end, you know. Um, there's people around my, my neighborhood here who will strap a bike to their, their kayak and they'll actually float down with their bike and a little PVC trailer that they can pull their kayak back with. Or they'll just bike... They'll bike back up and pick up their truck, come down and get their boat. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it. But kayaking on the rivers is so cool just because you just you get to go down river and it's just a ride. It's fun. It's it's really a cool thing to do. And to do it for 62 days was really an interesting experience. Wow. Did you get any opportunities or uh, any um, big deals or anything when coming back and sharing your story? Or are you still in the process of sharing your story? No, I mean, I, uh, you know, I made 24 videos, so you can watch the entire river from beginning to end every single day I filmed. I filmed 99% of it myself. My wife caught a little bit from shore, and some of the other paddlers would hold the camera and catch me filming just kind of for some B-roll footage, if you will. But um, so that was that was really my main goal, was just to be able to share the experience. So people can can do the entire river every single day. Um, from my videos, which is really cool. They're, they're, it's basically the length of a, of a TV series. It's 24 videos. They're 20 minutes long each. It's basically a full TV series. Um, the only company I actually had that responded to me when I was filling out the grant programs that many companies have was GSI Outdoors. And all I asked them for was they have some little salt and pepper shakers that are two-sided, and it's a one little bottle, and they're, they're you know, a separate cap for each side. And I actually filled up um, one side with water from Lake Itasca and the other side with water from the Gulf of Mexico. And I brought 12 of these bottles with me. And when I got back, I, and I carried them every single day, every inch of the way, and I gave them to my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my wife. Anybody who was a big part of my trip got one of these bottles. And they're just, you know, a symbolic image of holding source to sea in your hand of one of the mightiest rivers on the, on the planet. And, uh, 
you know, that was that was the only company that reached out as I asked him, hey, what could you send me a coupon for some of these? I need 12 of them. And here's what I'm doing. And then they sent me all 12 just showed up on my doorstep one day. No, 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 nothing. I didn't even know what it was at first. And I opened it up. And and so GSI Outdoors, I mean, I've tried to reach out to them to thank them. I, I wanted to do something for them in my videos. They're mentioned in my credits at the very end. But uh, I mean, how cool that they would be willing to to do that. Um, but yeah, that was the only the only company. There was no media coverage. Um, there's a local uh, producer that does kind of an outdoor show. I met her at a show once and told her about my story, and she she expressed some interest, but I haven't heard back from her, and don't know that I ever will, and that's fine. But surprised uh, didn't make the paper or they made the evening news. Well, you know, I, I mean, some people do that. They reach out, or their family will reach out on their behalf and be like, "Hey, so and so is doing this," you know, and and sometimes. You know, the, some people get way more press than others. The, the um, vets that are on the river right now, they're getting interviewed in like every town they stop at. But uh, yeah, for me, it was kind of a quiet uh, escape at all thing, like I said. And, and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't get uh, any media coverage, which is, you know, like I said, which is fine because I made my own. So, oh, yeah. oh yeah, I mean, that's the that's the nice thing about not having sponsors or anything like that is I didn't feel pressured to do anything that I didn't do. And when I created the videos, I created them from within what I am, you know, they are, they're completely me. Um, there's no ads in them. There's no nothing. It's just purely me enjoying the river and, and showing that you can do things like that. So. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Um, so, yeah, we're getting kind of uh, the end of the podcast here. And I saw that you had a, a new video up about the St. Croix River. Uh, so what's your next escape? Are so, you thinking about going down to St. Croix? Yep. So I started the St. Croix uh, early June, but the water levels, we've been really dry here in the upper Midwest. The water levels were so low that I probably spent the first, you know, up, out of the first 20 miles, I probably walked two of them because I was just dragging bottom and just tearing up my, my uh, Whistler kayak, um, which is both unfortunate, but it's also what it's for, and it's for enjoying the rivers. So I came off um, on the second day, and I was hoping that the water levels would go back up. But uh, now that I'm back home, I'm very unhappy that I didn't finish the trip. So I'm going to go back the second week of August. And I'm going to finish the trip because I just can't handle not doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of people ask, you know, what's the next big one there? The ultimate dream would be the Yukon River um, starting in um, Canada and going all the way across the state of Alaska to the Bering Sea. That yeah. would be my dream trip. Um, just the wilderness and the isolation of that would be amazing to experience. Um, if I was to pick a river in the lower 48, the Missouri River has only been done by a handful of people, and uh, that goes through some pretty beautiful terrain, so I'd love to see that. But that one's, like, longer <laughs> than the Mississippi by quite a bit, a couple months longer. Wow. So I'd have to really think about if I wanted to do that. So it's just hard to um, save up enough money to do these trips to pay the bills while you're gone. Um, like I said, I had to leave my wife behind because she's, you know, we have animals here to take care of and stuff, and she quite honestly wouldn't want to do such a long trip. Uh, overnighters are great, but nothing that reaches into the months. Um, and it's hard to leave home for that long when you've got obligations and, and things behind. So, um, but yeah, those, if I was going to do another long distance kayaking trip, it'd be one of those two rivers. Wow. That's amazing, man. So how can people follow you online? Uh, what social media platforms are you on? 
Yeah, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty old school. I'm pretty early in the millennial generation, so I'm really just on YouTube. Um, you can find me Escape with Jay, and that's J A Y. And uh, you know, reach out to me if you want to talk further beyond beyond the YouTube comments. I mean, I'm always willing to you know email people back and forth. And um, you know, every now and then there's a paddler on the river that I'll run out and see him if they're coming down the Mississippi. But um, yeah, if any of my videos you know are something that that you enjoy, you know, reach out, throw a comment, and and uh, unless your comment somehow gets buried for three months, um, and, I, and I don't see it, I'm, I usually uh, I'm usually responding within an hour. So um, you know, please ask any questions. You know, any comments. You know, hey, you did this wrong. You know, that's just fine too. I mean, I like to see it all. So I love to uh, I love to have those conversations with like-minded people. Well, I'm glad you finally did respond, man, because I really enjoyed this interview and I really enjoyed your story. Uh, uh, I'm going to get caught up on your channel ASAP. Uh, this is an amazing trip, man, and a great accomplishment. You know, I've had a lot of tournament anglers that won some big championships on this podcast, but never somebody that's done a big stint and an accomplishment like this, man. So congratulations again. And uh, to everybody listening to the podcast, I hope you guys enjoyed um, Jay's story and check him out on YouTube, Escape with Jay. And uh, you'll guarantee you'll uh, find some inspiration from this guy and uh, and be entertained at the same time. So thanks a lot, Jay, for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate the invite. And to all the listeners, you know, I hope there's something there that you can enjoy. And yeah, get out, find a way, find a way to escape it all. Yes, sir. Escape. Get out there and escape with Jay. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, tight lines. Keep your toilet paper stocked.